Good morning, church. Man, it's great to see you all. A family service. We got the kids in the house today. Kids, you excited to be here? All right, thank you for humoring me. I know you probably miss Trina in the power zone because there's all sorts of awesomeness in here, but we are excited you are here. It's, uh, you know, we, uh, um, it's important to us to occasionally do family services because it's important for our kids to, to be part of the full worship service and be with the body, and we need them, they need us, and we're going to celebrate with communion afterwards and remember uh, what our Lord has done through us and for us, communion. We want our kids here for that. And so I'll talk about that later. But, you know, parents, as you think about your kids and communion, we want them to come up and, and be with you for that. Know that um, our, our tables are open tables for all believers. And so parents, use your discernment. If they're ready, please have them participate with you. If they've not placed their faith in Jesus yet, have them come up and pray with you and, uh, and learn during that time. But that's what's coming. That's what's coming. Um, but right now, uh, kids, and, you know, I've been thinking about you guys as I've been putting this message together over these last few weeks as God's been speaking into it. And I'm just really glad you're here because we're going to be learning from uh, a passage today uh, from God's word that, man, I really wish that I got when I was your age because I didn't get it. So let me, I'm looking around here, a bunch of kids, uh, raise your hand if your parents bring you to church occasionally. I should see all the kids raising their hands because you're here this morning. If you're not raising your hands, I'm wondering what's going on. All right, go ahead, put your hands down. Raise your hands if you get to go to Power Zone with Miss Trina or some of our Houston kids classes. We got some kids who get to do that. Awesome. Okay. Now, kids, raise your hands if you have your own Bible and you read stories of Jesus and what God is doing through the Bible. All right, good. I see some hands. Raise your hands if you've been to camp and, and gotten to do like cool Christian stuff, cool Christian songs and all the cool things we do at camp. Oh, if you haven't gone yet, we got that coming up. Raise your hands if you're going to VBS coming up in a couple weeks. Okay, man, you guys are doing all sorts of cool stuff for, for Jesus and with the church. And you know what? When I was your age, I did each and every one of those things. And I was, like, I was like the kid who grew up in church and knew all the stuff. I'm the one that raised my hand. I knew all the answers. I could tell you, you know, all the stuff that, they, that, they, uh, um, that the teachers were asking. I'd fake it pretty good if I didn't, right? I know there's a few of y'all in here. But I tell you what, guys. When I got older, I realized I was really missing something with my relationship with Jesus. I mean, I was doing all the, the good church things well. But that is not the Christian life. And I tell you, I, I, you know, I'm going through high school, and I knew I'd been saved, and you know, I'd, 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 I'd gone through what that meant, but I just felt dry in my life. Like, like where is God? God just seems so distant. Y'all ever felt that way? Right? And so I get to college, and by God's grace, uh, he, even though I was wanting to go wild in college, he brought me into this awesome Christian community at college where they were passionate about living with God. And God changed my life in that time to realize that God is not distant. I realized that my problem, right? I mean, God, you know, we will have problems. Christians have problems, absolutely. But if you are with God and, and, and you will draw near to him, it is incredible about how awesome the Christian life is and what God does in that and through that. So I wish I'd learned that lesson a little earlier on, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Because you know what? When I was doing all the church things when I was little, a lot of times it was just like a checklist for me. 
did this, did this. I'm doing all these great things for God, right? Any of y'all have checklists now or summer break? Like maybe some of the moms are like, we got to have a checklist. Otherwise, my kids will just be on their devices and in their toys the entire time. Any of y'all do checklists at home? Kind of, kind of. all right, got to do this before I can, okay, I see some heads nodding. Yeah, we do checklists and uh, our kids kind of approach the checklist a different way, right? And um, one of my kids, I'm not going to name which one, but he's 10 years old and named after Nolan Ryan, great baseball player. One of them, he... Uh, um, he is all about like beating the process and like he's got his list and he's going to wake up before anybody else and he is going to do the entire list before mom and dad even wake up. I mean, we're talking brush teeth, do all the chores, do something creative, draw something. I'm check, 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 check. By the time we wake up, I am all done. I can do whatever I want the rest of the day. I think you missed the point of the list, but you know, that's how I was going about my Christian life. I know I had to do all these, these things, right? That's what Christians do. And I'm just check, check, check. Now I can do what Russ wants to do. And I was missing out. I did not understand how I was supposed to relate with God and what a relationship with God really means. How do you relate with God? What does your relationship with God look like? Okay, that's, what, that's where we're going today. Um, any of you guys feeling that dryness, that weariness, just feeling the weight of the world? God is so distant. I went to a conference, a church leaders conference, a college student leader conference um, a few weeks ago. And the first session, uh, great speaker, Shane Pruitt, some of you guys heard him at Winter Jam if you went to that. He, uh, the very first session was all about how leaders need to take care of their soul first. And it was such a life-giving session for all of us. And partway through, he's like, hey, look, if you're willing to, to, to stand up right now, if you are feeling dry and weary and just overcome and burdened, would you stand up right now so we could pray for you? And I knew that this was an important message. This is a message I needed. I knew this is something all of us needed. But it blew me away how many church leaders across that place stood up. And I know if I were to ask that same question in this room, and I'm not going to do that, but I know if I'm asking you that question, a lot of y'all will be standing up as well, right? We get so caught up into, uh, and, and sometimes we don't even realize it. We, we just switch quickly, like we're, we're with God, we're with God, we're with God. And then, oh, man, I'm just run, trying to keep up with things, and I'm just doing it just because I'm operating out of myself. How do you relate to God? Because God wants you to experience the joy and the awesomeness of the abundant life with him. And he wants to bring you out of that desert. So we're going to look at a passage that directly applies to that this morning. So if you've got your own Bibles, I encourage you to turn to John chapter 15. That's where we're going today. If you uh, are using one of the Bibles that we have in the chairs uh, around, that are around the place, um, page 707, if that would help you out. And while you're turning there, kids... Did any of you guys get a check or a, not a checklist? We don't want that. Did a clipboard today? All right, we got these clipboards in the back, and you may want to get a clipboard. And so feel free if you don't have one, go go ahead and get one right now. There's time. Go ahead and grab a clipboard because there's some cool activity things that might help you. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm not boring, but you know what? Sometimes a, just a place to draw is a good good way to kind of stay on target. And if, if you're uh, one of those big kids between 18 and 88, and if you want a, a clipboard as well, you're welcome to do that. On the first page, we got a word search. And on that word search, what I've got for you, there's, there's 20 words. They're directly from this sermon and from this passage and, uh, and a whole bunch of fruit, because we're talking about fruit today. Do you guys like fruit? 
All right, we are in a good spot already. I want you to think about your favorite fruit, all right? Who wants to tell me a favorite fruit? Oh, we got an orange, all right, there we go. What? Go ahead, tell me, tell me. Mango. Mango, anybody, what else? Man, I don't even know what that is, but that sounds good. All right, go ahead. Apples, yeah, anybody else? All right, now we're all hungry. All right, go ahead, Ethan, last one. Oh, man, now we're all hungry and think about fruit, and that is good because we need to be yearning what we're talking about here through Jesus' message like, uh, uh, like y'all yearning for fruit right now. So on that clipboard, that first page, that word search, there's three blanks, which are the main points in, my, in this sermon we're going to do. So your mission is to try to figure out how, what those blanks are. And uh, who likes fruit snacks? There we go. See how I can throw. Oh, yeah, nailed it. All right, so I only have two. But Miss Deanna right here, she's got a whole bag full. So if you do your clipboard, uh, or even if you don't do a clipboard and you're able to get the main points, you will go up to her after the sermon and she will give you some fruit snacks or just tell her anything you learned from the sermon or from God's word today because it's not about the sermon, it's about his word. And um, you can have some fruit snacks too. All right, so let's get started. John chapter 15, the context of this. I love the Gospel of John. I've been, I've been going through the Gospel of John with college students this last semester, and it's been, um, it's been so life-giving for me and in my life. And, you know, by John 15, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the cross is coming. Things are about to change. It's been awesome riding the ride three years or so of, of doing ministry with me. I said, follow me. You followed. And they're like, yeah, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. Okay, guys, I'm about to die on a cross. What's going on, Jesus? How do I follow you? What is, what's it going to look like after this? So they're freaking out. They don't understand the cross. Um, and so Jesus, these are his final, this is his final message with his followers. Because Jesus is saying, hey, look, I am doing a new thing and I am doing a better thing, okay? And so this is, him, this is him preparing them for that better thing that he's doing, and that's the message that we have today. So John chapter 15, verse, beginning verse one through four. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, abide in me. Now, one of the first things we notice in these verses is this beautiful, awesome mystery uh, of who God is, the Trinity, oneness in, in, in our one true God, right? That's who our God is. We, as Christians, we follow a Trinitarian God. Our God is Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Each of the three persons is fully God, fully the same God, yet they're distinct in persons. They each have their own separate role in how they operate, and they always operate as a team. Oneness. God has given us some... See, I can't wrap my head completely around this oneness. None of us can, because it's a mystery that, that's uh, beyond our comprehension, who God is, right? But God has gifted us with some things in this world to help us understand oneness to a degree. Marriage, family, right? <clears throat> Man and woman <clears throat> leave their families, come together, one flesh, operate as a team, 
in their family. And he's also given us the church, oneness. If you are in Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a relationship with all believers in this room, in this community, and throughout all of time and all place, there is oneness in the church that helps us see who Jesus, who, who our God is. And so we see the roles here. And so you're hearing me say this, and you're like, Russ, I don't see the Holy Spirit in these verses. <clears throat> you're right. He's not mentioned in chapter 15, verses 1 through 13 that we're looking at today, but it's taken out of the broader chapter 14 through 17, which is all about the Holy Spirit, right? Because Jesus was saying, hey, I'm doing this new thing. They're like, Jesus, you're leaving us. We can't follow you. Oh, but it is to your advantage <clears throat> that I leave you. No, like, can you go get my water bottle on my desk? Because I'm going to croak on a frog or something. All right. So uh, it is to your advantage that I leave you because what you're going to have is better. How can it be better than God right next to you, right? No, you're going to have God inside of you, the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to read a couple of the verses. This is chapter 14. Verses 16 through 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, <clears throat> because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. So the Holy Spirit, not mentioned in this illustration here of the vine and the branches, the Holy Spirit is what enables all of this to happen. How do we abide in Jesus, right? We abide in him through the Holy Spirit. Um, so anyways, where do we see the Father? The Father is the vine dresser. Other translations will say he's the farmer, right? What's this getting at? The Father, God, is in charge of the entire process. The entire process is under his control. This would be of great comfort, the disciples who, <clears throat> hey, they grew up as Jews and they've been hearing about the Father who is in control of all things from the very beginning. His plan, right? His plan, they're seeing things change before their eyes, but it is the same God, the same promises that he gave from the, gave from the very beginning, they still apply. It is still the same vine dresser who is in control of this whole process, right? Uh, the Father, and we see the Son. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. Man, we could spend a whole series just breaking down this verse, right? The I am statements throughout John are incredible. I am the true vine. True vine. Jesus is truth. We know that. But what would that mean to them? I am the true vine. See, they knew their Old Testaments, right? <clears throat> they knew their Old Testaments. And <clears throat> all throughout Isaiah or all throughout the Old Testament, it talks about this imagery of the vineyard. In Isaiah, it was talk, uh, talking about the people, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God, God's special treasure, the holy nation, kingdom of priests. Like he had rescued them out of, of, of Egypt, of slavery, to be his people, to be a blessing to all the nations, right? They were referred to uh, in this vineyard imagery. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. 
Israel was supposed to be so much more, but they yielded wild grapes. <coughs> and now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, that uh, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Nothing but wild grapes. Do you guys like wild grapes, wild fruit? All you guys are renaming your fruit, right? Okay, so wild can be good. Let me rephrase, but you know, I mean, we're not, but it's not the good stuff that he's talking about here. Wild strawberries are probably pretty good. All right. Um, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. Judgment is coming for Israel. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. I will make it waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they, that they rain no rain upon it. No rain. Judgment. They're about to be taken into exile, right? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah and his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice and behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God is looking for justice and righteousness in people. It is not there. But justice and righteousness and truth will show up in the person of Jesus, the true vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. So we see their roles. We see that abiding fruit is a team effort. That's your first point on your sheets, guys. Abiding fruit is a team effort. Fruit is cultivated by God. It is his work that cultivates the fruit in our lives, right? But we play a role in this team effort as well. What's our role? It says, abide in me and I in you. I love how Jesus always adds the I in you. So we remember that as we abide in him, it's still him present in us. Abide in me and I in you. What does it mean to abide, right? This is intimate language. I already mentioned marriage. More intimate than that. This intimate communion with God, right? This is more than just our, 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 the relationship we have with Christ when we are saved. Abide in me means that we spend time with him and have fellowship with him. So, I mentioned that I, I was relating to God in a lot of the, the wrong ways. And I, I read a book. I got a graphic here to show you. I read a book called uh, With by Sky Jathani that was really helpful to me in trying to, as it kind of painted some of the ways we relate to God, right? If we're talking about abiding in God as cultivating communion and intimacy with God, a lot of times we do some of these other things. And he broke down each of these other four from God. Life from God means, you know what? I acknowledge there's a God, but I'm not really interested in him being an active part of my life. But you know what? There's a whole lot of pain and brokenness in this world. And so whenever there's some, some pain and brokenness, I'll, I will come to God and I will expect him to deliver on that. That is life from God, right? So I was in the army, deployed to Iraq twice. First time, I remember I, spent, I was in a room with four other guys and three of them were divorced by the end of the deployment rough on marriages, right? And uh, towards the end of the deployment, we're in the operations center, which is just kind of where we're all doing our jobs to, to tie in like the entire battlefield and connect everything for the commander. And my buddy, Eric, he, uh, he's at his computer and I hear him just groan in agony. And he, um, he got an email from his wife, says the marriage is over, we're done. Right in the middle of him doing his job in the operations center, he got the G Dear John 
email. And he came to me that night and he, you know, Russ, will you pray for me that God will save my marriage? I want God to save my marriage. And I'm, I, I mean, my heart was so heavy for him. But I recognize, and I did pray, but at the same time I recognized, Eric, <clears throat> you need to be with God. And then, you know, God does amazing things. Right now you have had no relationship with God and you're expecting things from God. I grieved that my friend didn't have relationship with God in that moment. For God, this is what I described in myself, right? Sometimes this is the opposite. I'm, I'm so, <clears throat> so um, dutiful, right? I'm going <clears> to... <throat> I'm going to do the right things for God, and I'm going to do it all, and um, uh, I'm de- dependable. Uh, I will do it, but I'm doing it for God, absent in a relationship with God. And when I am weak in my flesh and I'm not spending time with God, this is what you're going to see in Russ. I'm doing things for God and not with God, right? Over God. So, you know, we see this a lot in the culture where... Um, Yep, I'm going to acknowledge that there's a God and this and this, but this is, I don't really care what the Bible has to, to say because really like this is what truth should be and this is how life should be. That would be life over God, okay? And then maybe the opposite is, is, is under God and you can see where the cultural clashes come in, right? Those who are, oh yeah, we're Christians and this is what God's word says and I'm going to insist because we are under God. You hear a lot about this in, in Nash, American nationalism conversations, right? Where, um, you know, we need to be, if we could just get this right and get things under God, then everything will be okay. Now look, there's elements of truth in each and every one of those things. We absolutely want a biblical worldview in our culture. But if our approach is just an American, or just a, uh, I am under God, under God, but not with God, man, that's not how it works. Life with God. And so Jathani in his book, he pointed out a lot of times we spend our effort just trying to get other people going from one to the other, right? Trying to get them to be over God, to be under God like me and agree with me, right? Um, people who want things from God to, to living for God instead. That's where we're putting our effort. But where the effort needs to be is Jesus says, abide in me. Life with God. That's where we experience the abundant life and God does amazing things. And that's where I, I want to move on <coughs> to see some of those, to see what that looks like. Now, I will say uh, I'm not doing justice in this sermon to the practical ways for abiding in, in God. Um, there's just not time to go, to go deep down that road, but it's so important for us to recognize uh, the importance of spiritual practices in our lives, things we intentionally do to cultivate intimacy with God. A lot of times we talk about daily quiet time. Great. That will work. If, if, if you know, somebody may tell you, this is what works for me, so this is what you should do. Now, what they're, what they're really trying to get at is, I have found a place and space in my life to be with God in this moment. That same place and space may be completely different from you for a lot of different factors. We're all wired differently, right? We're going to connect to God in different... Just like in marriages where we're trying to cultivate, cultivate intimacy in marriages, we talk about different love languages, right? We all have different ways of connecting with God. The important thing is to find a place and space to be with God. I encourage it to be early at some point. It doesn't have to be the quiet time in all its fullness, but something to start your day with God so you can practice the presence of God throughout the day. I'll just give you my example. I overcomplicate things 
with my time with God. I get really excited, right? Shocker, I get really excited, <clears throat> and um, I want to do all the things in my Bible study. I'm going to do this Bible study because we're doing this in my Sunday school class. Justin's preaching on this, so I'm also going to look at this passage. Then I've got this prayer list right here, and I'm going to pray for the nations right here. And, um, and then I'm going to do this. And um, the first couple of days, wow, this really cool 45-minute long quiet time. Ain't nobody got time for that the rest of the week. And so what do I do? I'm not spending any time with God because I overcomplicated it. So I've, I've gone to the ba- I'm always going back to the basics. I, I started recently going to the SOAP method. Right? You may have heard us mention that here before. I don't like acronyms sometimes. I think they're cheesy, so I'm like, I'm not going to do soap. But uh, scripture, observation, application, prayer. And just waking up a little earlier to have time where I'm reading scripture, taking note of this is the most important thing that God put on my heart from this passage, an observation, right? I write that, that verse down in my, in my journal. I wasn't doing journals for the longest time, but um, it's been helpful for me to just write down one thing and then just kind of write about what God is saying to me about that one thing. Before I know it, in the process of just writing a page, I have spent time with God. It slowed me down. It got me out of my checklist mentality. Maybe something completely different for you. But you've got to abide in him, right? All right, let's move on. So the first point, right, abiding fruit is a team effort. Let's look at the next. I lost my place. There we go. <clears throat> Five through eight. I'm going I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words ab- abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See a strong contrast in these verses, right? Let's look at the negative, right? The branches that do not abide in Jesus. We see fire imagery, right? I know where y'all's brains are going. We're just naturally thinking fire. Okay, so that means like you go to hell, right? I mean, we're talking about eternal damnation, judgment. Okay, we need to, the Bible talks about that stuff. Um, but this is talking to believers. In the last passage, we saw that you are already clean. Jesus uses that language, right? So what's the application for believers? Well, interesting to hear different scholars debate back and forth on this, and it's a whole thing, and so you could hold different views on this. That's fine. But um, I thought it was really interesting, one scholar pointing out that when it's talking about this throwing away branches and being burned, it's, saying, it's talking about the, the usefulness of branches, because, you know, on a grapevine, there's really only one. To be useful, you bear fruit. That's what you do. You bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, well, you can't, like, get really excited and, and, and lick your master when he comes home. You can't, like, sing a little dance or do whatever. And, I mean, there's nothing else that, a, a, that this grapevine can do other than bear fruit. And so if you're not useful in that way, you are useless. And so this is talking to Christians and saying, well, You are called to bear fruit. Casting a vision of the abundant life of being useful to God when you abide in the vine, which is a win-win. God is glorified in this. And the illustration says, hey, look, if you're useless, we're going to move on and work on other branches, right? It's just talking about 
Will you be useful to God because he desires to use his people? If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Much fruit. You kids, are you thinking about your favorite fruit again? Have you ever had a really bad strawberry or a very average strawberry or a very average watermelon? I think maybe ours was a little, yeah. Um, It's not fun when the fruit is meh. I tell you what, a lot of times I read a passage like this. This is exciting stuff, but God can't really use me in such a way. God really can't. I mean, he's capable, sure, but he's not going to have this amazing fruit through me. We tend to think of ourselves as like Walmart fruit, right? I mean, it'll do, right? (laughs) But y'all, God wants to use each and every one of us for so much more than Walmart fruit. Because I know y'all have gone way out of your way for like those Porter peaches and Colorado peaches and things like that. And God does even much more amazing fruit through his people if they will abide in him. God wants to bear much fruit through you. And you need to believe that and come to him and be with him. Boy, verse 7. I really want to test this, right? If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I'm thinking of some things there. But that's not the point to be thinking that way, right? The point of this is when God's truth, his word, is abiding in us, when we abide in him, when we spend time with God, and God's word is such a big part of our life. Hey, kids, do you believe that God's word can change you? Do you believe the Bible can change you? Man, I know that's what Miss Trina wants you to get. I know that's what I'm seeing and hearing from you guys. This word changes you. And the more time you spend with God in his word, that word affects your worldview, your priorities, what you believe about things. And then when you're praying prayers, you're praying straight up Jesus when you are abiding in his truth. Okay? And that glorifies God. It glorifies God. This is how the world knows that we are his disciples. God chooses to reveal himself through fruit that is born through you who abide in him. That's how God operates. He wants you to pray big prayers and for him to work through that. Getting too excited. We need to to move on. You know, I was going to do one little thing, so I'm just going to give a side note. The next passage is all about how the world will hate, hate us. What an odd passage to jump to immediately after bearing fruit. But what's the point? Yeah, you're going to bear fruit in this world, and the world's going to be like, that fruit stinks. But you know what? The Holy Spirit of God is at work in that, and if you'll be faithful and abide in him, you may see nothing but pushback and hatred from the world, but the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, is moving in that, and he's breaking down barriers to a world that hates him every day. He's breaking down those barriers, and people are seeing that, whoa, that fruit's pretty good after all. So that's all I'm going to say on that topic because I want to move on. Um, Let's look at the the last few verses. As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Do we see? Now Jesus is getting more specific. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So that the first point was abiding fruit is a team effort. The second point that we just did, abiding fruit glorifies God. Abiding fruit glorifies God. Third point that we're looking at now, abiding fruit tastes like Jesus. Abiding fruit tastes like Jesus. Pure fruit of the vine from branches that will abide in Jesus tastes like Jesus. When we abide in his love, amazing things happen. God, God is cultivating, and if we are faithful, his love is what comes through for us. Now, some of you guys are like, hey, I know the fruit of the Spirit. You guys know the fruit of the Spirit? How many fruit are there? <coughs> There's nine, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. I probably missed something. Thank you. I'm going to skip that one, but no. Um, so love is just one of the nine, right? Well, I was reading this book by, uh, called Life on the Vine by Philip Kennison. Had to read it in seminary. I dusted it off for, when I was reading for this. I love what he had to say about love. He points out love is the first one listed. That's not coincidence. What God is saying when, when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love is listed first. Like that is the first fruit. The first fruit is love. This is my commandment that you love one, about one another. And you can do this when you abide in my love. When we abide in his love and his love throws, flows through us, then we are able to love, to love in such a way that peace and joy and faithfulness and goodness and kindness, self-control, gentleness, all of that comes out. They are all an outgrowth of an intimate relationship of love in the love of Jesus. What can we say about the love of Jesus? What can we say about it, right? Well, usually... People who teach and preach this will end in verse 11, but I went down to verse 13. Love one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved us? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is saying this with, saying this with his disciples, his close, dear friends, who he'd walked with, and he was about to die for. And it was a message for each one of us. He loved us so much that God himself put aside all, uh, all, <clears throat> everything that he had, came down fully God, fully human, lived a perfect sinless life, and then died in your place. That is the love of Jesus. We are to love people in such a way. Well, I can't do that. Well, if you abide in Jesus, the fruit will taste like Jesus, right? So um, an illustration before we move on to communion. Greater love has no man than this, uh, no one than this. I think we hear this verse quoted a lot. This verse quoted um, uh, a lot of times out of context, human terms, right? Sometimes out of context is a bad thing, but sometimes out of context is a good thing if it helps us point us to the fuller context. So um, first, this cheesy picture over here, on the that's me, back when I had hair on the top and not down there. And um, that was my first deployment to Iraq, and I was an intellig intelligence officer, but an extra duty was someone had to go receive the money that would be distributed in our, to people we worked with, and there can only be one person, so I was the pay agent. Kids, how much money do you think I'm holding here? Anybody want to guess? I have no idea. That's more money I've ever held in my entire life, and I was responsible for handing that off. But, so anyways, so I would go to headquarters, get it, and then go through hostile territory to get back to my unit, right? 
and uh, <coughs> I would be escorted. I would have a, a, a squad that would escort me. Sergeant First Class Rivera, he, uh, was, he was one of, my, one of the escort drivers, and he was platoon sergeant, or, um, yeah, platoon sergeant. And so he would be driving me, and he would always joke about, hey, Lieutenant Wells, see all that money in your box? We're just going to go off here off the grid, and I'm going to take all that money. He had the best attitude. Uh, he just messed with me the whole time. He was just a fun guy to be around, Sergeant First Class Rivera. And everybody loves Sergeant Rivera. He was such a good soldier. November 3rd, uh, May 5th, 2003, Sergeant Rivera, he, uh, um, he uh, was leading his squad, and they uh, came under attack. Um, rocket pro- propelled grenades and small arms fire, and he, he took a bad hit. So I'm in the, I'm in the, um, the operations center, right? And uh, <coughs> while I'm in there, we received news. It's bad. And um, there's a band of brothers, right, in the military. And, uh, and so it really affected us all. And I will never forget when Command Sergeant Major, I mean, this dude was like stoic as it gets, right? And he, um, he comes in and he, uh, he goes, attention in the talk. He says, Sergeant First Class, Jose Rivera passed away. Um, you know. <laughs> and I'll just remember the silence when we all listened to him, right? Band of Brothers, and, you know, father of three, 34 years old, one of the best soldiers, best friends, and we were so affected, so affected because of our relationship with him and, um, you know, what he had done for all of us. So, you know, that came to mind as I was thinking of this, and I will, we had the, the memorial service afterwards, and so they, this is what they do in the memorial service. They have the helmet and the boots, and we all show up to pay respect. We're all in formation, the entire battalion, and we got the, his company commander who loved the Lord. I forget his name, but he loved the Lord, and he's talking about Sergeant Rivera, and he broke down in tears. Greater love has no, man, no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I tell you what, in that operations center, I had a very insignificant job in the moment, right? I, I plotted things on a map so that the commander could get a sense of where the enemy was and the terrain. There wasn't much I could do. But when we got that news, it affected each and every one of us. And I plotted on that map like, like nobody has ever worked a map. I'll tell you what, each and every one of us did our jobs in such a way. And it wasn't because we were good soldiers. It wasn't because we're supposed to do, but because Sergeant Rivera's sacrifice and love that we had, it affected us. And like I said, this is just a human example. When you abide in Jesus and you consider the great love that he has for you, he died in your place. That changes you. And the spirit of God, man, you may think you cannot do X, Y, or Z in the Christian life, but when you abide in Jesus and let his love overflow and affect you and overwhelm you, you will bear much fruit. It will be so good. This is the kind of fruit that changes the world. So a memorial service, right? I hope you're able to do something tomorrow on Memorial Day to remember what those, those have given. Jesus, right before he gave this message to his followers, he shared a meal with his closest friends. He shared a meal because he loved them. He took some bread, tried to help them understand the magnitude of his love. This is my body, broken for you. Take this, eat this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup. The cup to represent the new covenant, this new thing that Jesus was doing, the blood that was to be shed for you. He said, drink this in remembrance of me for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the new thing. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. You can abide in me and we have intimacy forever. Fully, one day when Jesus comes again, but right now through the Holy Spirit, you can have intimacy with Jesus. So yeah, you can just be saved and we'll be in heaven with Jesus someday or you can abide in him. Jesus died because he loves you, not just for the future, but for now. So church, that's what we remember as we take communion together today. That's what we celebrate. And we celebrate that and remember that every week when we gather, whether we do communion or not, because we are people marked by the love of Jesus, called to abide in him and bear fruit to a world that desperately needs this message.